Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we have uh, entered into our 40 days of Lent. Uh, You notice some liturgical changes around the place. And, of course, we began this season with our Ash Wednesday service with those profound words, Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The ashes, of course, are symbolic of our mortality because uh, in Genesis we learn that the Lord made us from the dust of the ground. But ashes also in the Old Testament are symbolic of repentance. Uh, David, remember, after he had sinned so grievously with Bathsheba, and had caused the death of her husband, and Nathan confronted him, he went into repentance and mourning and put on sackcloth and ashes. A very ancient time of repentance, of turning away from sin, turning toward the Lord. And so ashes are for us a remembrance of our mortality, and a reminder also that we are to repent. The Lord said, in Genesis we, we read, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being, formed from the dust of the ground. In a scientific magazine, uh, this is written, in scientific terms, the molecules of our bodies are composed of atoms of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen with small amounts of other elements. And while the hydrogen atoms come from the very early universe, the carbon, oxygen, and nitrogen all come from the stars. A carbon atom in a cell of a human brain has a pedigree that extends back before the birth of the solar system 4.5 billion years ago. Atoms now gathered in a single strand of human DNA would, billions of years ago, have been widely dispersed in different stars spread around the galaxy or in interstellar space. The raw materials from which the first living molecules were assembled on Earth were brought down to the surface of the Earth in tiny grains of interplanetary material preserved in the frozen hearts of comets from the interstellar debris of the giant molecular cloud from which the solar system formed. In short, the Lord made the stars in the sky and then he formed man from the dust of the earth. The dust that came from the stars included carbon from which the Lord made us. It's amazing, isn't it, that science finally catches up with the biblical narrative that knew all along 
that we are made of the dust of the earth. We're made uniquely because God breathed into us. We are people that are uniquely formed in the image of God, designed for a relationship with him. And then he took the biggest gamble of all. He gave us free will. So that love would be freely given. So that we could choose. We can choose to follow God. We can choose to worship God. We can choose whether or not to love God. Because love coerced is not love. Love freely given is what love is about. And so God chose to form us of the dust of the earth, to breathe life into us, created in his image, in the spiritual nature of who we are, and gave us free will. Of all of his creation, we were given free will. We're not accidents. We are formed, gathered together in his beautiful creation. If, uh, if, if you, you might have heard that the readings are about temptation, <laughs> they're about temptation and sin. The first one is about the temptation of our forebears, of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and their response to that temptation. And then the gospel reading is about the temptation of the second Adam, of Jesus, the perfect man, and his resistance to temptation and to sin. And the reading in the middle from Romans pulls them both together and draws meaning out of them for us today. So let's look, first of all, at the first temptation God has given them the garden, everything in the garden. You can eat of everything in the garden. It's a free gift to you. There's only one tree of whose fruit you cannot eat because it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And note the deceiver's way of deception and temptation. You won't die. It'll be good for you. You'll be like God. Don't you want to be like God? You can eat of that fruit. It won't be so bad. In fact, it'll be wonderful. Because now, you'll know the same as God In fact, you'll be like God. And note what that does in the mind of the woman. She now sees and thinks it would be good to eat. It looks delightful. And I will be wise. 
very old, old, old deceptions and temptations. John, in his first epistle, in the second chapter, writes, All that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life, comes from, not from the Father, but from the world, and the world and its desires, he says, are passing away. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, appetite, avarice, and ambition, and the woman succumbs. Note this, the man is right by her side. He's not out somewhere else in the garden. He's standing right there. And he's the one that the Lord has told you shall not eat. He's told the woman he is hearing the temptation and they both eat. And sin infects the world. Sin comes in through our first parents and we are the inheritors of of that first temptation to sin. And he continues, because after all, he is the great deceiver. We can withstand the large sins, can't we? I mean, we don't go out and murder. We know that's a sin. Well, at least I hope we don't go out and murder. Um, but you know, the big ones are easy to defend ourselves against. It's that little deception. Well, it won't be quite so bad, will it? I mean, I can just open up this one email. I'm kind of interested. And pornography comes onto the screen and then we're down that pathway. Just the one won't be so bad. Just the one thing in business, maybe I can just fudge the expense report a little bit. Maybe I can just pack it up a little bit. After all, that wouldn't be quite so bad, would it? We're drawn into sin little by little in his work called the Screwtape Letters, in which it is written from the perspective of an archdemon who is training up a junior demon in the ways of temptation. C.S. Lewis writes, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Some of you might remember a few years ago the book by John Grisham called The Rainmaker. It was made into a movie with, I think, Matt Damon and, I no, it was Danny DeVito. Um, but um, the, the young attorney, full of vim and vigor for justice, for being about uh, turning the world to good, by being an attorney who really works good in the world. And, and the book and the movie are about how insidious it is to step over the line, to do the wrong thing for the right reason. If I just do this, 
although that's bad, it will bring about this good result. But choosing evil never conquers evil. It just continues the pathway of evil. And at the end of the movie, he says this, Every lawyer, at least once in every case, feels himself crossing a line that he doesn't really mean to cross. It just happens. And if you cross it enough times, it disappears forever. And then you're nothing but another lawyer joke, another shark in the dirty water. And put in the place of attorney politician who go in with bright eyes, we are going to make a difference in this world. And then pride comes in and the packs come in and if I just negotiate with them for this one thing, then I'll be able to get the greater good. But it never works that way. And eventually the line, after we've crossed it enough times, disappears and our moorings are gone and we have no idea where the line is anymore because we've crossed it too many times and that's the work of the deceiver. Gently, the gentle slope. Just walk across, it'll be good. After all, you'll be like God. And it's the same kind of deception that the enemy tries to use on Jesus. Fully human. Out in the desert, he has just heard the voice of his father say, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. He knows who he is and whose he is and he is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights and notice that it is at the end of that time when the deceiver comes to him when the Satan comes to him with these very real temptations He has, after all, gone for 40 days without food. And the deceiver comes and says, You're the Son of God. You can turn these stones into bread. You must be hungry. And then, listen, if you can do that, you can feed the entire world. No more hunger. Sounds good. Sounds good. Jesus came so that we would be fed. But not in that way. Because Jesus knows that at the bottom of the sin of hunger is not being able to provide divinely in that way, but to be able to change human hearts because it's our souls and our hearts that need to be changed so that we want to provide for the other, so that we bring about a world in which we are part of the solution, not part of the problem, that it's not just give to us, but that we are part and parcel of feeding those who hunger. 
and giving water to those who thirst. We've been created for that. And Jesus responds with scripture, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Going back to the desert wanderings of Israel, 40, day, 40 years in the desert, and God provided, but God wants to provide for the earth through us. Changed hearts, changed lives, changed people who care for each other. And then he is taken up to the pinnacle. <clears throat> Cast yourself off. Gosh, wouldn't that be spectacular? Everybody will believe you're the Messiah then. Everybody would have to after all. And it says right here in Scripture, know this, the enemy knows Scripture. We better know it better than the enemy does because he knows it really well. It says that angels will come and gather you up. You shall not fall. You shall not fail. You shall not die. But the angels will come and support you. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, he wants free faith from us. He wants faith freely given because of who he says he is, not because of spectacular shows. He comes with subtleness, not the spectacular. And he asks us to trust him by his word. Because if we were to believe through the spectacular, that's not really faith. It's doubt seeking proof. It's not faith. What he wants is us to step off the ledge and trust him with all of who we are. And then the enemy comes and says, all of this, all of the nations of the world. And remember that the prophecy is that eventually all nations will bow down to Jesus Christ. And the enemy, who is still the ruler of the earth, although defeated now, says, I'll give them all to you. You can have them. You don't need to go to that cross. You don't need to suffer. I'll give you all the nations of the world. They're yours. That's what you want. That's what scripture tells us. That's what is going to happen. That's what you've come for, right? So that all the nations will come to you and know that you're Messiah. But the only thing is, I need you to bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, worship is for God alone. For God alone. Do you notice each time he points back to God? He points back to the word. He counters the enemy with the truth that is in the word of God. And the devil leaves him, not forever, for an opportune time. He goes away. Because you see, Jesus knows that he is to do the Father's will. And that there is no easy path for our redemption. 
who have fallen prey to the sin of our forebears. It is not the spectacular, but the subtle. It is not coercion, but conversion. It is not superiority, but surrender. And he does. Surrenders his life for ours. Gives up his life on the cross so that we live. And he gives up all of this willingly to bring us back. And Paul, reflecting on this first temptation of Adam and Eve and their fall into sin, and the temptation of the second Adam, of Jesus Christ, sees that through him, where sin came into the world with the first Adam, life has come into the world through the second Adam. Grace abounds. He says the free gift, life, forgiveness of sins, is not like the first trespass. For the many died. If the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of the one man Jesus abounded for the many. One man's trespass led to condemnation for all. One man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as from the one man disobedience, this, the, this man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. We have been made righteous through Christ's way, which is the way of the cross. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You see, we have been given the ability, because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the same power to resist sin that Jesus had. How did he do that? How did he resist sin? He resisted the devil away from me by the word of God, if we know the word of God, then all of the wiles of the enemy that would draw us into temptation come to nothing. But if we sin, because he died, because he chose the way of surrender rather than spectacle, we are always forgiven. We have freedom in him. And so may we be a people who look at these two temptations and follow the one who went the way of the cross to bring fullness of life. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.